This is Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. The website is truthjihad.com, where you can subscribe by way of the Substack button. Today's show features a conversation I recently had with Nick of the For Liberty radio show on revolution.radio. It broadcasts from 10 p.m. to midnight every Tuesday. That's Eastern Time, 10 p.m. to midnight Tuesdays on revolution.radio. So, take it away, Nick. Man, I'm so grateful to talk to you. You know, uh, I really appreciate, uh, you know, when you have some of your guests have some pretty crazy ideas. And I, I, I see that's why that's, that's why you bring them on, so that you can confront the ideas. And you do it with such stoicism and grace that, uh, and, and bluntness is what I really, really like. I like, uh, I like a legitimate challenge to my ideas. And I, I think you'll, uh, when I, when I present them that, you'll probably get an idea of why I do meet resistance. <laughs> but Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So, so could, should I, could I record this and possibly use it for a podcast too, or did you want to just do do it for yours? Oh no, that's fine. Uh, yeah. It's, it's okay. both ways for sure. Uh, since I'm recording, as soon as we end this call, it'll just present the recording to both of us to, for I download. See. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I studied a bit of psychology and also have some uh, field work, field experience. And what I found was, you know, I did shadow counseling with degree uh, social workers. And what I found was their license was so limiting to them. They couldn't really help people. What they did was they did help people learn to cope. Okay. So, uh, you know, you can help them emotionally uh, deal with and, and kind of live with their problems, but not much more than that, you know. And because I w- I didn't have that license, I was able to actually give them life skill ideas. And as such, I could routinely outcounsel the counselors. Now, what what was precisely limiting about their license? Uh, you know, it has been a while, but I found that again, you know, they were able to help people um, cope and uh, just just live with instead of fixing anything. Uh, like nutrition was one of the things I brought to, to the table in that. Mm-hmm. And the counselors themselves, especially the guy that ran the place, were thanking me for making their job much harder, but clearly they're going to be more effective when they bring that into their their routine. So, so you're saying like if, if the people weren't getting good nutrition, the counselors would just be able to help them live with that, but you would actually be able to help them try to change their diet? Or I'm, I'm still trying to imagine what, what you're saying, how, how this works you know, in terms of the specific issues. Um, it just never occurred to them. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you were actually able to, to try to help them change their their behaviors? Uh, the, the, the clients? Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to understand. Like you explained that you had this this difference between mm-hmm. what the licensed people could do and what you're able to do. So I'm trying to translate that into something specific. Uh, one um, one session I had with uh, with a good friend of mine. Uh, this young man was married, and uh, his wife would he would he and his wife would go young, very young couple, like not even children yet, and he was upset that his wife would want an ice cream at the like a Cinnaboyne Park or something and 
it would cost them like $2.40 for an ice cream when they can spend, you know, just a little bit more than that on a whole gallon of ice cream at home, right? And so I was, you know, the, the counselor would go with the routine of, you know, uh, uh, helping each other. And, uh, you know, I can't, obviously don't remember a, a lot of details, but I remember it wasn't like I was able to put myself in the position of the client. And imagine how I would feel if I was him being told what I was told by the counselor. And I just remember it being very superficial and very, like, I've been through counseling my whole life as well. And it just, it just never helped because I found that, you know, whatever they were trying to help me with was, again, just trying to help me cope and not really giving me any real world solutions. And then it turns out that the world is kind of messed up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really there probably the aren't, there aren't any real solutions for a lot of things. Right. <laughs> but maybe yeah. there are for some. But what I found was on an individual level, I could, I could much more easily, I don't know, maybe it's because, you know, they'd seen hundreds of clients and here I am on my first few, but I could so much more easily put myself in their position and then imagine ways that I would deal with these things. And so the remedies I gave him were about love, about, you know, you can't carry a whole gallon of ice cream to the park, so why not? So it's worth it to spend a little bit extra. I mean, it's important to be to be able to have that leeway type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and the guy, you know, he, he listened to the counselor and he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And he listened to me and his face lit up. I mean, he really did see the, the way. Once well, you're actually, probably increasing the sum total of happiness in the world if you're helping somebody enjoy ice cream in the park. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and well, it really comes down to the way he viewed his wife in life in general, uh, because it was about uh, he, he uh, something about I can't remember exactly, but, you know, how, how can you surprise her with things and giving him ideas on, on bringing spontaneity into the relationship and things like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, actually making making one's wife happy is is definitely a good thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, helps the household uh, brighten up. So now to apply that to the real world is I'm meeting incredible resistance, and I want to know where like people say, "Oh, you're being frivolous." They're saying I'm being somewhat obsessive and repeating myself. Now, I'm not, are you familiar with any of the other hosts on Rev Radio? Well, uh, there's Mr. Rowe, who produces me, and uh, Jim Fetzer, and okay. I'm trying to think of who else. Um, probably, there's pro- probably a couple others that aren't mm. coming to mind right now, but yeah, not not all of them. Right, so you're not familiar with Noreen, I guess. No. Okay, so I do a show with her every Monday into Tuesday morning, midnight. Uh, till 2 a.m. Eastern. And, yeah, that's past my bedtime. Right, that's right. Um, and she won't even, like, she asks me not to bring this up on her show, even though I think it is not the ultimate answer, but we're, we to get started on the road to understanding how to take this world back uh, begins with this. Uh, I listened to the last couple of shows, and Ken Meyercord. Ken Meyercord, yeah. Okay. Uh, helped give me kind of a springboard to to get one of the main ideas across. 
in that he said something like whether or not you know the cold war was really about ideologies or was it just nation states competing mm -hmm. and uh, you pointed out that uh, you know there's all this posturing with russia which isn't even communist anymore and i would suggest that soviet union was never communist they they called themselves communist to give themselves what they called left cover uh, you know, they had a propaganda image that I saw, and it was supposed to be of Lenin's uh, kitchen. And it was just a simple little wooden table by a simple little uh, window and a, some wooden chairs. And this is how we we all live because we're all communists, which I think is a load of bollocks, of course, because Lenin never lived like that. He lived in a palace, didn't he? He, he had a posh lifestyle, which uh, now – so – my one of my main things is you know how after 9-11 there was Giuliani there was Cheney there was uh, Rumsfeld and and they would give take little clips of them saying terror terrorism and you would see these little short clips terror 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 right yeah I remember, remember those okay so we could do the same thing today with communism and on Rev Radio and listen to people commie 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 communism mm. okay just over and over again what is the so I am for picking up a dictionary and if we want to figure this out we want to learn how to trust each other and learn how to help each other properly we better sort out this language the way we use language because calling mass murdering you know psychopaths communism is like you know calling a bank robber a school teacher and training us all to be angry with school teachers because we think school teacher means rob, robbing banks Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think, yeah, I agree somewhat with that. I mean, obviously, the communist ideology is is not the same thing as these regimes that profess it. And it's the yeah. same with any other ideology or religion, for that matter. You know, people, exactly. you know, like if, if there's a war, you know, if it just pick any war coming out of Europe or the United States or, or the West or, or even in the Americas anywhere over the past uh, however many centuries, and say, oh, it's Christianity's fault, right? That's a Christian war. Well, obviously it's not. It's the Christianity maybe played some role, but probably not very much. Well, you know, I think uh, obviously religion has been the basis for a lot of conflict and a lot of divide and conquer. And I, actually, I disagree. I think it's, it's very parallel to what you just said about communism, where uh, there's a Karen Armstrong book about this, actually, that shows that you know people it, like for instance the, the wars between muslims and christians in spain uh the conquest and reconquest and all of that it wasn't just christians versus muslims it was it was this christian prince allying with that muslim prince against that other christian prince and that and, and right. on and on and on it, it's all about power people are trying to maximize their power and then they use these ideologies to do that yeah that's what that's what i mean if if uh if I can uh, adjust what I said, that Christ that uh, uh, religion in general has been used as an excuse. Mm -hmm. Not that it's the cause, but it's been used as an excuse to pit us against each other. And, and, and communism this, and capitalism, too, which are religions, um, by the way. Exactly my point that I want to get to is that the government is just another religion. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And and it's the latest incarnation. You know, they went from the church to the monarchy, mm-hmm. where people stopped believing that they were going to go to hell if they didn't obey, to a, a monarchy that would bash you in the head if you didn't obey, and people resisted that. So they changed to government, which gets people convinced to obey. Mm-hmm. And that's the most effective and dangerous weapon of them all. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's an interesting comparison with the the idea that the government, which is often defined as you know that particular bureaucracy that can plausibly claim to have a monopoly of power in a given territory, uh, the fact that they're given that monopoly of power is is usually seen as as legitimacy. And as people agree, well, this particular mafia is our we're going to call it our government and let them have all have the guns or the biggest guns and resolve all disputes by force and nobody else is really allowed to use very much force we'll do that because they this particular bureaucracy is is special it has this mystical magical quality called legitimacy and that's very much exactly the same thing that the king had in the past uh he had the divine touch you know god wanted him to be king so therefore he's a legitimate monarch and whatever he says goes and so on. So, yeah, I agree. I think I think government is is a kind of religion uh, in in that sense. And that exceptional, you know, the, the fact that we give government these uh, qualities and abilities, uh, and this claim of plausible, you know, this plausible claim to be the uh, the only legitimate use of force in a given territory. I mean, that's the same kind of irrational thing that people always did with with kings and princes. Mm-hmm. Now. Um so uh if we pick up a dictionary and we under and we especially one like I have a Webster's from 1974 and it has the actual definition I, ma- I imagine if you pick one up from that was printed a few years ago uh it's just going to say communism is marxism or something right uh mm-hmm. and that's what you hear people saying is uh communism marxism socialism those are the three evil you know headless horsemen coming to eat us all up uh and in my opinion they they like uh they give us basically two choices left or right democrat uh republican liberal conservative those are only the only two ideological choices that's people do seem to naturally uh get uh, wander to one or the other usually the right it's especially in these alternative movements where we're seeking you know truth they tend to be on the right and blaming everything on the left well, mm-hmm. my problem with that is that they're basically acknowledging that there are only two choices. Anybody who ever says communism, liberals, any of that, they're acknowledging that there are only two choices in life. And this is fatal. I don't care what side you are, whether you're left blaming the right or vice versa. If you think there are only two choices in life, we're sunk. I don't mm-hmm. see how we can do anything to save this. Uh, yeah, so, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I yeah, think that, that, that left-right paradigm which came out of the French oh, yeah. Revolution, has probably outlived its usefulness. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, I mean, it's been seized upon and put out there. And that's why I hesitate to use terms like virtue signaling and woke. I mean, all of those terms, just they just pop out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they're supposed to help us analyze things? No, we're born with the answers. You know, all of this Bible and, and, and books and stuff, no, I, I think that's all programmed into us already by our creator. Uh, you know, and uh, so for me, it, the answers are within, and that's where we need to start looking, and that's where I think people resist and don't really want to hear from me too much because, you know, I don't point my finger. You point your finger, you look at your other three fingers, they're pointing right back at you, 
And that's where we need to start looking is how do we communicate? How do we treat each other mainly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. where I mean, the famous uh, line in the Quran, that God does not change the condition of a people until they change what is within themselves. That's powerful. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And, and uh, people don't want to hear that. They want to hear how, you know, who to blame and who and how much should we hate that person we blame is yeah right and and you know that and that's so interesting to analyze right that that you see so much of this kind of scapegoating where people are trained in organized hatreds and of course the most influential political philosopher of the 20th century um, was uh, well Leo Strauss's uh, mentor um, uh, Carl Schmitt who analyzed politics as the domain of organized hatred and he said mm-hmm. that. You know, any, any group that's brought together by hating some other group or perhaps individual, I suppose, would be uh, a political group. And if any other basis for a group organization is not political. So that's how he defined the political. And then if we jump ahead to Rene Girard, uh, maybe the greatest all around thinker of the 20th century, he did this analysis of scapegoating. And he showed how from throughout all of human history across cultures, uh, people uh, tended to resolve the chaos, the escalating chaos and conflict in their social group by turning in hatred against a scapegoat and expelling or more likely murdering the scapegoat, lynching uh, someone and blaming them. And then after doing so, discovering that that act of of lynching the scapegoat somehow brought the community together and ended all of the dissension and chaos and violence. And so then uh, the primitive tribe would say, wow, that scapegoat that we just murdered must have had some divine quality. It must have been a god. So they build a a statue to him and every year they do a sacrifice in front of the statue, whether human or animal. And that's the basis of paganism. So Girard says that's where all human community comes from. So if you put Schmidt and Girard together, you can really uh, do a very profound analysis of a lot of what we're seeing in politics today. Mm. And, you know, I am a a frequent visitor in the Rev Radio chat room. And that's, you know, what I try to get people across is they're talking about, you know, going to the White House and swinging people swinging from ropes. And it's like people this mob mentality mm-hmm. you really think that's going to get us anywhere yeah I, wish- I, I, I understand how they feel that way i mean i feel i have those same feelings myself you know like you look at, at some of the crimes these people have committed you know uh, go to who did it.com i think it is and and just you know see the list of the 9-11 perps and mm-hmm. most of them are still alive <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I understand the anger where, you know, mm-hmm. the first reaction is, you know, the justice system has failed. And so we need vigilante justice. Let's go lynch these people. And I think that's a normal and natural reaction, but it uh, may not be the most productive reaction, to say the exactly. least. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of where I'm focused. I'm focused on remedy, not on revenge and not on emotional response. Like I, I try to get across to people. Don't let your emotions govern your thoughts. Other way around, people. you got to make your thoughts control your emotions. Don't shut off your emotions. And also, don't let your anger turn to hatred, because wishing death is wishing hate is, is, you know, basically fomenting hatred. And that will only hurt us. So, uh, the yeah, trick ob- is... Observing your reactions, too, in, in you know, being able to do what people do when they meditate, which is to sort of uh, let go and observe what's going on in your your thoughts and feelings. 
And then you realize that the you, that you know, the sense of yourself is not actually identified with those thoughts and feelings that the, the anger or whatever the, the, the thoughts, um, you know, the, the, and the, the negative ones, the waswas, we call it in Islam, uh, are things that they're not part of you. They're just stuff that's floating through your consciousness that you can notice. And then it kind of dissipates once you notice it in that way. That's that's how me- people who meditate often are better able to deal with this sort of thing than people who don't. I just did a, I did a, a Islamic sermon on Islamic meditation uh, last Friday. So that's kind of still on my mind. Sure. No, I think that is incredibly important. Uh like I, I listened to Dr. Bill Deagle for a number of years, and one term he gave me that I think describes myself and and other you know people that you talk about that you've mentioned is that we make every thought prayer. You know, our mm-hmm. every thought is you know thanks to creation, and uh, you know just just being introspective and and figuring out ways that can help us in our journey. Uh, which in you know invariably helps the world. You know we put out that kind of creative energy that helps the whole world you know heal and and start to grow again. And so anything wishing ill on others, I say you know be careful on whom you wish ill. You never know who gets the wish and who gets ill, because these are wizards and they can easily reflect hostile energy right back at us. So that's why, and even so, even if they don't even have to, I mean, it, it's hostile energy naturally just you know re- reflects and and uh, is uh, surrounds kind of the uh, the person who's experiencing it. So it, there's kind right. of a built-in aspect to that where you're punishing yourself through yeah. anger, and often you know even if you have a really legitimate cause for anger, you're actually doing yourself a favor to uh, let go of it, and sometimes even to forgive the perpetrator. People say, well, how can you love a pedophile? Well, what if love cures that pedophile and makes him not a pedophile anymore? You just saved a lifetime of, of children being victimized, haven't you? You know, it's not about lovey-dovey, you know, touchy-feely. It's about understanding that love is way beyond any kind of emotion. I define, you know, it's really hard to define life, but I define it simply as this. Love is life. Hate is death. So we're born in love, and if we want life to flourish, we have to learn to love and understand that there's no such thing as conditional love. You can't say, oh, I love him, but not her, but not, or her, but not him, or him, or whatever. If you either love or you don't, it's a light switch. It's on or off. That's, and, that's interesting. And it, there is, in, you know, in the real, in the practical world of politics and, and, and you know, sometimes self-defense, uh, there, there are situations where one has to take practical action that may seem incompatible with a constant uh, feeling of, of love. Uh, and so I, I wonder, you know, sort of how, how, do, how do you deal with that when, you know, I, obviously there, you know, there are so many examples, I don't even really need to go through them. But you know, just for example, you know, you mentioned the you know, elite pedophiles, for example, uh, and psychopaths. You know, there are people who are really born without the kind of built-in uh, emotional and cognitive safeguards that keep a lot of most people from you know, crossing the line too much. Uh, and some of those people actually can learn to not cross the line, even though they don't have those built-in safeguards. So you can have people who are technically psychopathic, but who don't really cause a huge amount of damage. But an awful lot of them do cause huge amounts of damage. Mm-hmm. 
it's really questionable whether there are any cures for them and whether, uh, in particular, the kind of love you're talking about, almost certainly uh, in, in many, if not most of such cases, is not going to have any effect on them whatsoever. Uh, so then you still have the practical task of how do you deal with a world dominated by such psychopaths? And I think you know the answer is that you, you do um, sometimes have to engage in self-defense and in organized yes. violence. And the organized violence has to be used to put the best people in power. And right now we're living in a world in which the worst people are in power. And then the model that, you know, the Islamic model is different, a little different from the Christian model. The Christian model imagines a transformed world of love in which everyone has achieved Christ consciousness. And that's, of course, what we are all praying for and will perhaps happen when uh, Jesus, peace upon him, comes back and does his final thing. But in the meantime, we're in this world that uh, the Islamic model was when there was a, a pathological oligarchy in charge that persecuted and persecuted and persecuted and persecuted the people of truth and justice. Finally, the people of truth and justice uh, were given permission by God to fight back. And once they had that permission, that, that directive, they fought back with everything they had. And the purpose was to put the best in power instead of allowing the worst to be in power. Right. So rather than the Christian idea of separation of church and state, in which you have let you allow the, the psychopaths to rise to the top, Caesar, the biggest psychopath, rules, and then you have your church off on Sunday that is tolerated by Caesar, uh, but doesn't really affect the organization of social life. Instead, you make sure that the person in charge is the best competent person, the most spiritually advanced competent person you can find. And uh, to to get to that point, you have to sometimes engage in uh, in war, uh, organized violence, uh, and overthrow the pathocracy. So I do think that we may need to do that now. But I agree with you that simply getting angry and taking pot shots at specific you know individuals or whatever else uh, makes no sense. Instead, we should follow the, the path of the prophet and and some of the other prophets before him and uh, think it through, come up with a strategy, and win the war. I think I have that strategy, and I do want to get to it. Uh, but exactly what you said uh, earlier is, can we get to a place where the world is already run by people who love? And then, yeah, you're still going to have the occasional psychopath. Now, don't forget that the system encourages psychopathy and finds them and promotes them into their ranks. And that's why we have all those psychopaths up there in those ranks. Uh, so if we have a world that's run by love, well, there's no poverty. Why is there poverty? We have abundance. How much, you know, they pay farmers not to grow food. How, how stupid and sickening is that? Paying farmers not to grow food because otherwise the price of food would drop. Uh, so, you know, we could eliminate poverty tomorrow. I think if there is a Messiah that needs to come that, you know, they, we could really make it so much easier if we take the initial steps. It's probably what's being waited for right now is for us to show ourselves worthy by not letting each other suffer anymore, which we can easily do. I mean, we start paying farmers to grow food. That's my ultimate remedy is, uh, uh, you know, we drop the dollar 
just get rid of it. I mean, it's so blood soaked. I can't believe we still, you know, if if we were run by love, we would never touch that blood soaked currency. We Absolutely, create... and 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 usury soaked as well. It's mm-hmm. created in. It is the creation of each dollar is an act of usury. Right. So, um, like, for for me, in my opinion, money itself isn't evil. It's just a powerful tool that's being used for terrible evil. And so we can drop their dollar and create a new dollar. First, give it to farmers, make them uh, so that they can grow food, make sure they have a comfortable living to grow the world's food. Then we don't have any more uh, motivation for GMO or chemical fertilizer. We can actually use organic farming practices. We can use robot drones to do weeding instead of chemicals and, and robot drones for that instead of dropping bombs on people. Uh, you know, don't give any to DARPA anymore. Starve them out. That's that's how we deal with these guys. We don't swing them from ropes. We just, uh, you know, withdraw our participation, withdraw our consent, our complicity with them. That's how we get rid of them. It doesn't matter who they are. Just stop listening to the, like every time I listen to a radio show and it's Biden this and Pelosi that and they're lost. They're never, ever going to fix thing one if they think that they can fix the government the way it is today. You know, we have the power. We just got to stop giving it away to them. Um, uh, So you make the basics, uh, food, clothing, housing, basic food, basic clothing, basic housing. You can easily make that free to the world. And now, like I say, it's organically grown. It's actually got nutrients in it. And now all of a sudden the population is healthy. They're not going to want to sit on a couch and play video games. They're going to want to get out in the world and innovate and contribute and you know, make this a nice place because you, you this gives you the opportunity for a true free market. People try to associate capitalism with free market. Are you kidding me? Capitalism, take that word cap and apply it to the word capture. That's what kind of market capitalism is. It is a captured market. And that's what everybody is trying to do for themselves. Capture enough of the piece of the market to make at least a decent living. That's what we're all stuck doing, and it ends up making us have to profit off each other instead of, you know, working towards each other, giving the system our energy instead of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what love would bring. So, uh, you know, pick up a dictionary and you look up the word communism. It literally means common ownership by all. It doesn't mean government control of everything. It means the exact opposite of that, and that's what people don't like. That's well, of course, gets- Marx thought that if the working class rose up and seized power, uh, then the state would wither away and communism would emerge naturally. And of course, that was that never happened. And the anarchists had predicted that it would never happen. And there was a big debate in the 19th century between the communists, and socialists, Marxists versus the anarchists. And the communists and socialists and so on said, we have to overthrow the government, seize state power. And once we do that and make rational decisions in running the society, then gradually the state will wither away and we'll get this uh, kind of natural communism of people, uh, you know, from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. But it turned out that the anarchists were right because we did see communists seizing power all over the place. And they became the state themselves. They became the state themselves. And that leads to the observation that maybe the anarchists and libertarians have a point in their analysis Mm -hmm. of human nature. 
which is that it's um, uh, people are probably sort of made uh, weak. And, you know, I think the Quran even says that, that, you know, man is created with certain weaknesses, including the very, you know, what Christians call the the deadly sins and and the other sins, um, including, you know, laziness and selfishness and and so on and so forth. So so when you look at at the various experiments in so-called primitive communism, where a group has gotten together and said, no more individual ownership of anything, we're all going to collectively work the fields and make a little factory and so on. There were a bunch of these religious groups that did that here in the United States in the 19th century. And then again, in the 20th century, the hippie movement here. included these. Yeah. yeah. And and they all, they last for a while, but they quickly start to break up because I think there is a sort of, you know, built in uh, desire for property or territory mm-hmm. in human nature. Privacy. Most Most animals are territorial. And, you know, t- take my cat, for example, you know, he's marked out a certain territory and, you know, goes and visits the neighbors and makes his rounds around it. And I noticed I'm kind of like that, too. I sort of enjoy making the rounds around my little two and a half acre territory in the woods here. And I, I think that territoriality is very much you know built in to our, our whole, uh, you know, our, our, our personalities. And and so property is, is kind of built in, too. And so this notion of completely abolishing property and then social status and hierarchy, which are. Uh, connected to property is probably a pipe dream. However, it's if we look at at human experience down through the ages, it's true that the extent to which we have property accumulation and social status based on that is just way off the charts compared to almost all other you know places and times. So we might rationally argue that we should tr- strive uh, to get back in balance into a world with less uh, stratification and, and mm-hmm. hierarchy and, and emphasis on property and, and huge differences in, in property ownership between different people and groups. Yeah, reduce that. But but try, the idea that you're ever going to completely get rid of that desire to have property um, and a certain amount of healthy competition, that's, uh, I don't think that would ever happen and unless you know maybe you know, God willing, Jesus will come back and somehow teach us how to do it. But until then, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, you know, that's why I certainly don't advocate communism. Uh, I'm just trying to get people to distinguish real communism because all a communist is, is someone who agrees to abide by the edicts of a commune in order to live there. That's all. You can't say, you know, being child sex slave trafficking, psychopathic, mass murdering, uh, you know, demons qualifies them as communists are you kidding me look at how they've demonized these innocent people are you you mentioned you know they've they tried uh communes well isn't that what the amish are Mm -hmm. yeah right right and and actually if you talk to some of these libertarians you you find that ultimately you know they're supporting these kinds of communes uh hoppy or whatever his name is that uh theoretician i remember reading his stuff and, and he ends up you know, saying that since we shouldn't have a government, uh, the way people should govern themselves is sort of by deciding which group they want to belong to and what rules that group should have. And so, you know, some group of people will get together and live in this on the same property or area. Maybe it's a gated community or maybe it's a hippie commune or what have you. And they'll make the rules. And if you want to live there, you have to abide by the rules, whether it's the condo bylaws or the communes bylaws or some you know, religious uh, edicts or whatever it may be. And 
the, a libertarian like Hoppy would agree with this. He would say that's the right thing to do. This is how it should be. You shouldn't have a government in Washington, D.C. telling 350 million people oh. how to live their lives. Everybody should be free to decide what to do. And many of them are not going to want to be just individuals. They're going to want some community, which is going to have rules. So you should have a plurality of different communities with different rules. But wait a minute. That just ends up describing pretty much what we already have. <laughs> <laughs> to the, you know, yeah, we have D.C. Uh, trying to mess with us, but we also have your local condo association where you have to apply, abide by those rules, your local village where you have to pay property taxes to the county and, and do what the village board tells you and, you know, give some money for the schools for three, three property taxes, this sort of thing. We already have all this stuff. And so in a way, these libertarians are just reinventing the wheel. And it's it seems to me that uh, uh, people do want to form social groups where they have to abide by the rules. Nobody wants total individualistic freedom. And, and so this our, our national philosophy of uh, to the pursuit of happiness has been interpreted as pursuit of individualistic freedom, where the individual is absolutely free to do any darn thing he wants, doesn't have to obey anybody else's rules. And what's that led to? You know, it's led to sort of where we are now with with overweight people laying around on the couch, you know, watching the Super Bowl uh, and and uh, seeking, you know, money and pleasure and power uh, and not being willing to go along with a group and follow the group rules. And I think people would be a lot happier if they found the right group and follow the right rules. Like I, I'm in a group called Muslims or, you know, the, the House of Islam. I follow the rules of praying five times a day fasting during Ramadan, uh, not a bite to eat or not even a drop of water between dawn and sunset, um, and so on and so forth. And then there's also this issue of Sharia or those kinds of agreed on rules as well. So um, we're, we're, you know, we're already in a world where there are, uh, everybody is, is really stuck joining. So you, know, you have to be in one or more social groups. You have to follow those rules. And once you realize this, you realize this individualistic pursuit of happiness thing from our, our liberal political tradition is, uh, let's just say, very, very limited. So it has been limited in the past because there hasn't been abundance. And that's why I say anarchy can work now, real anarchy, where where people self-govern entirely. And then you see... But wait, individually still, or collectively? Well, you can, it's a choice. You can be individual, you can be out in the boonies, you know, not bothering anyone. That, that's the thing, is once people have everything they need to live a decent life, they don't want to bother other people. They're too busy enjoying their life. So you don't really need any overall rules, although you can certainly have them if you agree upon them. And that's why I say, you know, communism is a very good uh, system for uh, organizing a primitive society where if you're a hunter-gatherer and you're barely scraping by, scratching up roots, you can pool your resources and get yourself out of that, you know, barely existing existence and, and organized and start to, that's, how, I think, how everything's got started is we organized, we found ways to grow crops and, and herd animals so we didn't have to be wandering all the time. And so it starts off with a commune where everyone all pools their resources. And but today, yeah, we are a primitive society because, you know, we know our job. We go to school and we're stuck behind that desk all day long, cut off from the world to make sure we don't know the world. We only know government worship. And uh, so we're primitive in that way that we have so few skills and everything. But 
we also have the capacity, like uh, throughout the 1800s, like technology was really taken off and starting to develop. And we probably quintupled productivity. And, uh, you know, at the end of the 1800s, uh, we were still working 12 hour days, six day weeks for barely enough to live, despite the fact that wealth was being generated unbelievably uh, and yet we still didn't get any of it. So they had those series of uh, labor movements throughout the early 1900s, one of which was here in Winnipeg, uh, the Winnipeg General Wildcat Strike. And all of a sudden, they standardized eight-hour workday five days a week, okay, overtime and things like that, vacations. Um, so since then, I say qu productivity has quintupled again and again. You know, like all this incredible productivity. And that's why they can print and print and print whatever. And the dollar, they keep saying, oh, dollars collapsing, dollars for how, how, long, how long have we been listening to that? That it's going to cost us $10,000 for a loaf of bread. You, well, yeah, ev eventually, happened. I think it will, but it's hard to say when. Exactly. So we're spending all our time, all the, like the last 20 years, people are saying collapse, 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 and there's no collapse. What have we done for that last 20 years besides keep each other in terror of financial collapse like it doesn't help us it doesn't fix anything we need to realize that you know we need a new labor movement like in in 1919 general wildcat strike and and say hey look why are you putting half of us out of work and making the rest of us work eight hours a day five days a week mm -hmm. you know we yeah. should be uh we should be retiring in our early 40s to let new people into the workforce, but you never stop working. Once you retire, you go to work for yourself and each other, right? Mm -hmm. And and we work all our lives because it takes hard work to stay healthy. So you might as well be productive while you're working to stay healthy. That's uh, right. Growing food is is uh, something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, you said something about the uh, the drones weeding. Um, yeah. I'm not sure about that, but the it's true though that it would be pretty easy to have all of the uh, labor, uh, you know, organization that we have today, the way uh, or labor is organized to produce so much wealth and keep that and have uh, a, a decent distribution of it with people working a fraction of as much as they work now. And then people would be free to uh, grow their own food and then, of course, trade that. It could We could be kind of, you know, it's technological neo-peasants, which I think would make people happier than they are today. Uh, I know I, I'm able to uh, survive uh, in this kind of crazy situation where I put so much energy into negative things. You know, I get on the radio and do my false flag weekly news looking at the you know, 30 most horrible news stories of the week. And oh, okay. you know, talk about all the most awful things that the government that hurts, doesn't about. it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I stay sane in part by going out and, and gardening. And I, I think probably a lot of folks would be happier if they you know rather than than you know running in the rat race uh, if if they were just working half time gardening the rest of the time and as you say maybe retiring early and gardening even more and the food that they eat would be uh, so much better it's really hard to grow or to, to it's hard to obtain uh, really high quality produce if you're not growing it yourself even in winter here in wisconsin the stuff we're eating from was we froze from last year is so much better than anything you can buy in the stores. Uh, it's and probably that's you know, that's one reason that we're healthy enough to have COVID and, and survive it without too much trouble. Uh, 
so I, I think that yeah, this this uh, kind of um, the, the the issue though is is again the you know human nature uh, is such that it's it's kind of hard to turn things around you know from this this world where where people are taught uh, to compete for resources and status in a particular way you know how do you you know unteach them how do you uh, find a, a different you know a, a different model that will be adopted by masses of people quickly that i'm not so sure but it, you know well, maybe uh, if your radio show catches on <laughs> maybe that'll do it yeah i uh did something similar when i first got on radio i found my most popular shows where I, where i go to monsanto's website and just read off it and comment and and decode it and show that yeah we're killing you and yeah it's good to kill people and you know <laughs> like uh uh, they talk about bringing peace to the world. Well, how do they want to bring peace? Well, kill us all, and then it'll be peace, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, I don't, I, I don't garden. I, even as a boy, I couldn't garden. Uh, I mean, picking peas, weeding the garden, my back just wouldn't let me. I, I was never able to be bent over like that. And so, what I uh, like to do is, I, you know, if I had mobility, because I, I don't, I haven't had a driver's license, and I'm still working on ways to get around that. Um, because I, I am just so sick of all this government and needing government permission to put on a pair of socks. It's just not, you know. Uh, so what I would do is I would be happy to go around to the farms and help them fix their tractors. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at mechanics and, and uh, you know, figuring things out, wiring diagrams. and you know, yeah, maybe, so maybe you should invent uh, a really good weeding drone. Well, that's it's been it's been experimented on, and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what we would be using had that technology been developed for that purpose, instead of dropping bombs. Right. Well, uh, well if you, if you ever get one, I'll, I'll you know I'll be happy to try to you know try out a prototype for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually mentioned that to Nighthawk, uh, and he was pretty warm to the idea. There were there is video of these very primitive prototype drones going in. And it has a camera that can distinguish from the wanted plant versus the weed, and it can go in there and uh, and do the weeding. Absolutely, that that's totally viable. And uh, you know, well, I, I would I, I'd kind of have to see it. My first thought is there might not be sort of an energy payoff. Like in a lot of these issues, uh, there's a there's a, a kind of a you know energy investment versus return. You know, everything from mm. drilling for oil to to agriculture, uh, and so. Uh, the energy needed to keep your drone in the air and to make the motion. Oh, motions. no, 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 on the ground. They roll around. and. Oh, okay, they, okay. They got... So it's like a robot, not a flying drone. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Okay, well, that, then that's probably actually something that I could I could imagine really happening. Yeah. Uh, like I say, there are prototypes out there, but it just definitely won't go beyond. I myself, you know, have invented things that the system didn't really like. And I was supposed to get uh, funding. They said, "Oh yeah, you like your business plan? You know, we'll we'll get you funding. We'll give you a call on Wednesday. Of course, Wednesday comes and goes. They don't call. Following Friday, uh, it comes and goes. So I've called them the following Monday, and they said, "Yeah, we're not funding you." Uh, and I asked, "Well, why is that?" He said, uh, "My boss just said no." <laughs> hmm. So, uh, I mean, I I've hit that stop window a number of times. Uh, so this is, you know, it is a total monopoly that we have right now. And we think that that's 
you know, the end all be all. There's a wonderful speech. I've got to track this down again called the best of all possible worlds. And that's what people believe, you know, the vast majority. That's you mentioned human nature. I think that's our ace in the hole. That's our wild card is uh, that if we can get these programs, it's much easier for people to reconnect with their spirit, with their true, you know, uh, what they were born to be. If we find, I, I, I liken the human mind to a keyhole, and every sentence we utter is a key. And if we can speak the right words to line up those tumblers within their minds, we can unlock their minds, and then they can reconnect with themselves. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like having a spidey sense, your spider web, uh, your feelers, actually, you can feel the spider web, the, the sensation, you don't have to think things, we just sense them when we really tune our senses uh and that's you know it's somehow i just all my life i'm thinking what is that key it's there i know it is and and so i'm constantly searching for new ways to communicate these ideas to people and it's very hit and miss it's not all miss like yeah i get ostracized i've been ostracized my whole life and same thing in this chat room uh, we're dealing with some out of control mods right now, just just checking everybody on every little thing they utter, and they have no idea. These moderators. You're talking about the Revolution Radio chat room. Yes. Because I, I know that the uh, the moderation of thing, you know, social media is way out of control. There's this censorship push that's just completely insane. You know, I just had Michelle Malkin on my show talking about being banned from Airbnb. You know, you right. can't stay in lodging anymore if you have the wrong political views. You certainly can't post on social media. You can't speak your mind anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, First Amendment here in the United States uh, was supposed to apply to all of the public sphere. And it's pretty hard to argue that social media hasn't become the public sphere. But, hey, I guess uh, it's it's the corporate sphere and they can censor us all they want. But I'm kind of surprised sure. because it's, it's, Revolution Radio struck me as kind of a, the last bastion of no holds barred free speech. And, yeah, you know, obviously people are saying things sort of, you know, illegal or incitements to violence right, or, right. you know, uh, libelous or anything like that. They mm -hmm. would be moderated. Naturally. Which they should be, right? Yeah. There's not. I got no argument with that. Like AMAD. Basically, the the CEO of Rev Radio was in there. Like I get I get bullied all the time, and and people don't realize that they are censoring just like Facebook. You know, they don't realize. Well, no, wait that. a minute. But there's a difference between some a comment that you perceive as bullying and then censorship, which would be kind of forcing you off the platform or you know deleting your posts or things like that, right? Well, they're not doing that, are they? Yes, they're silencing me. They're booting me. They haven't banned me, but they have bullied me silent forcibly silent what they do is and it's not all of them it's just a couple what, uh, what is it what is it that you're saying that they don't like i mean everything i've heard you say so far sounds perfectly within the purview of of what i would expect that revolution radio people would like but remember what i said that uh you know you start trying to open people's minds to the real meaning of words like communism that gets their guard up right away oh okay so it's, it's the communism thing right well it's yeah, not well, just yeah. Not just that. It's it's you express love like I expressed to you, the the concept of no such thing as unconditional love. Things like that get me banned, believe it or not. Really? You know, trying, trying to open people's minds to the, the, it's the way we treat each other that enables the psychopaths to take, to stay in power over us. Uh, and, you know, time and time again, I get, I get cornered. 
like uh, I'll get one mod saying, oh, you know, this is why you're wrong. You're full of it. Communism is the reason for all death and misery. No, but that, that's just, that guy's just expressing his opinion. That's okay, isn't it? Yeah, that's fine. As long as he doesn't ban me. If like, like he's challenging me, but it's not a legitimate challenge. I love legitimate challenges. Show me where I'm full of beans, and I promise you, I will either concede, or I will respond and show you where you you misunderstood. I'm not full of beans. I know I have to know what I'm talking about. But then, you know, this one moderator is like challenging me with just you know basically you're full of it and that's it. I'm not telling you why. You just are. And then their friend comes and just outright bans me. Or it that's, silences me. That's, that's kind of strange. Well, uh, I, 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 hope, uh, I hope that, that situation resolves uh, properly. And I, I, I certainly haven't heard anything from you that sounds even remotely close to what anybody would ever ban anyone for. I mean, I know that it's whatever one's opinions, if you annoy people too much by uh, you know, pet, like some, if somebody you know emails you too many emails at some right. point, you know, you block them because it's just too many emails or somebody just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over and they become annoying. Then you might say, Hey, you know, you're not contributing productively here or something like that. But, but the views you're expressing uh, strike me as quite uh, reasonable and legitimate, just like some of Michelle Malkins did. Uh, so I don't see why anybody in their right mind would want to ban you, but Hey, I think we're at the end of the hour here, Nick. Um, so I, I need to head out. I have an, another interview coming up with uh, somebody in Iran. Okay. Yeah, I really hope uh, they back off on all of that craziness. Yeah, um, they can't decide whether they want to uh, get start a war with Russia or with Iran or with China. Probably all three at once, which would be pretty even stupider than one at a time. <laughs> These so people I, are stupid. I uh, listened to Michelle Malkin, and I was really impressed with the way she stood up to Alex Jones, even though she was on the wrong side. I was listening to Alex Jones at the time, and he was saying how he's going to go right up to her, he's going to tell her right to her face, and he did. There was video of him confronting mm. Michelle Malkin, and the way she stood up to him was incredible. Yes, yeah, I, I, I like her as, as a person. Yeah. You know, I, I used to find her, her politics you know, incredibly obnoxious. Um, but now actually having talked to her and looked a little bit at her immigration work and stuff, I can kind of see how she made that mistake and now she's correcting it. So, Hey, well, uh, I, her. that's another thing I wanted to get to. If we can possibly do a B session, I would appreciate it because, uh, I have something to say about immigration that I think, you know, uh, you know, eventually I wouldn't mind talking to Michelle herself and, and seeing what she says, but I'd rather talk to you because you do have a way of being objective and clearly thinking without prejudice. Yeah, you know, no, immigration ideas. isn't isn't really my my big issue. I I can it's that makes it easier to see the valid arguments on both sides. Uh, but anyway, I do have to go now. But th thanks, Nick. It's been a very interesting conversation. Okay, Appreciate thank it. you as well. Okay, take care. You good luck with your other stuff there. Yeah, thanks. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. -bye. Yeah. Uh -huh.